0: Let's go, folks. Time for the Gibby Show.
1: How you doing, baseball fans? Happy Halloween to you. If you're out there celebrating, as you see I am, uh, welcome to another edition of the Gibby Show. My name is John Arezzi. I'm here with one of baseball's incredible personalities, the two-time manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, the upcoming author Mr. Baseball lifer himself, direct from San Antonio. Mr. John Gibbons. John, happy Halloween to you, man.
0: Hey, you're an imposter. You're not John Arizzi. You, I think you're Bartolo Colon.
1: Oh, you're not That's... supposed to say that. You're wrong. Oh, I can't. I can't. Well, what? Is, you,
0: like people aren't going to notice. I'm going. freaking Hey, I, we just, if you start, if you maybe we ought to do this, this show. Like, if you drop a little less, Yeah, uh, you know? Let me see the back of that shirt. What does that shirt say? Rizzy?
1: No, this is a.
0: Do you see it? Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I thought that.
1: (laughs) This is actually a game used Bartolo Cologne jersey. Two reasons for that, John. One, uh, he's a pretty robust, big dude like myself. So. It's kind of the only game-used player, other than Daniel Vogelback, that I could actually wear a game-used jersey.
0: Bambo, Bambino.
1: That's right. He's kind of like the Bambino. And secondly, um, I always really dug Cologne. I thought he was a, had a lot of heart, just uh, came in and provided tons of entertainment for the Mets yeah. fans, including that home run that he hit in San Diego. I'll never forget that moment. One of the best – in my memory as far as being a baseball fan
0: yeah you know a baseball that's what it's entertainment there's a perfect example a guy yeah. you know i mean he looked different a big strong dude and great pitcher and all that and, but it kind of reminds me remember david wells was pitching yes. for the yankees he got a hold of a uh it was a babe ruth hat right he, was, he wore, he,
1: wore it again. he had the original he had babe ruth's <laughs> hat on his head <laughs>
0: That's what baseball was baseball, sorry. I mean, yeah, Yeah. it
1: certainly was. And, uh, you know, for me, it's Halloween, so why not dress up? And, uh, uh, you know, it is Halloween as we uh, tape uh, this episode today. What about yourself growing up in Massachusetts? What was your – what was Halloween like up there when you were growing up? And some of your maybe favorite or non-favorite costumes that you wore as a kid.
0: You know, well, back then – you know, because I've I've got three kids of my own when they were young. Back then, you didn't care. You know, the parents turned you loose. You go to Halloween nowadays. You, get, you know, you got to go with them. It seems like uh, I think my I was a lot of times I was a pirate, if I remember right. right? A couple times maybe a ghost. You know, something simple So we didn't get too carried away in our household. But but I can remember in, in growing up in Texas, it was funny. It's like we had two nights nobody two nights of Halloween, and nobody could. There was one year nobody really knew what day it was on or something. <laughs> I'm not making that up. It's, and, and, and it's like, so we went out two two different times. But I can remember too. You know, you, you as, as a young kid, you take the the pillowcase. Yes. And, we, and as a young kid, you're dragging around. You had so much candy. And next thing you know, you where's the hole? And you come home with no candy because it's all strewn <laughs> all over the street. You know.
1: So yeah, back in the day, we'd fill up uh, the pillowcase and then we'd run home and empty it out and go back out again. Yeah. And that was those were the days where you could go out and your parents would be like. All right, just don't get in trouble, and uh, you know, like today, you need security guards to like accompany the kids up and down the blocks. But uh, is, back yeah. in the '60s, man, it was kind of a it was a it was a great time to grow up, uh, and it was it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it is a fun it is a fun day. So,
1: yep. But anyway, we got a lot of baseball to cover today. Uh, we will be uh, uh, on this episode. Uh, we'll have part two of that wonderful interview with Alex Anthopoulos. I mean. Part one last week, part two today. He's going to dig a lot deeper into his days uh, with the Jays, and uh, we look forward to uh, uh, doing that part uh, two today. Uh, Of course, we're going to talk about the World Series, and we also have some more questions uh, for you on the Ask Gibby segment brought to you by Budweiser. So uh, we have an exciting show for everybody uh, again this week, John.
0: Yeah, it's good. Alex, Alex is so good, you know, and he, he really he really opens up quite a bit and tells you know some pretty interesting stuff that you know I didn't I really didn't even realize at all, you know. Uh, uh, but it's you know it was a pleasure and honor to have him on this show, and um, yeah, he's one of the good guys, you know. And it just shows nice guys don't always finish last. My mother used to that's tell true. me that. Hey, nice guys finish last. I said, really? That's that's that shouldn't be that way. But you know what else my mother told me? She goes, son. She goes, remember money can't buy you everything right and i see that. she goes but poor can't buy you nothing so go get it go go set your dreams and goals and go for it so anyway there you go
1: and your mom obviously still uh with us and you spend a lot of time with her too
0: yeah, she's exactly. still going strong, and she—it's—it's it's amazing. She'll throw her two cents in on the show too. You know, she'll say uh, oh, she loves really? loves watching it. But she, oh yeah, like I told you at first, she says, "John, your your face is too close to the camera. Your head's too big, <laughs> so back it up." And the little things like that, you know. So she's still giving instruction. God bless her.
1: Yes, indeed. Well, let's get to the lead off. Uh, We have some news to cover, some Jays news and some interesting stuff going on. It was uh, not the heaviest news week for the Blue Jays. Uh, The biggest news to report is that uh, Toronto outfielder George Springer underwent successful elbow surgery uh, surgery to remove the bone spur from his right elbow. Uh, Springer skipped the all-star game this year with elbow pain. He was out for another 10 days in August and the team said he'd be ready for spring training. The surgery was performed in Dallas uh, by Dr. Keith Meister. Uh, Springer had to stay in Toronto for several days before getting the surgery because of the concussion uh, that took place in the Game 2 loss in the wild card game against the Seattle Mariners when he collided with shortstop Beau Bichette, uh, chasing that blooper, that, uh, that blooper that will live in infamy now. Uh, Spring is 33 years old. He played 133 games this year, hitting 267 with 25 home runs. He had 76 RBIs. He had 14 stolen bases. But he did miss significant time in 2021 uh, because of oblique and quad injuries and a sprained left knee. Uh, He signed the largest deal in the history of the Blue Jays, six years, $150 million in 21, he's got three years to go in this deal, and the Jays really need a healthy Springer for next year. How do you keep the guy in the field? Uh, has he been a bit, uh, in your opinion, has he been a disappointment since getting 150 million for six years? Uh, let's talk about Springer a little bit and uh, what his role is going to be next year. They need him to come back, and they need him to come back strong.
0: Well, Bartolo, you know he's a key. He's a key guy to that team. There's no doubt about it. You know, and, and when he's on the field, good things happen but he spent a little bit snake bit, you know, his whole career, you know, he gets yeah. injured a lot. And I guess the amazing part, I, I what I don't get, you know, we uh, in, in the, in the sport nowadays and all the sports, you know, they, all these uh, new techniques for training to keep guys healthy and cut down on injuries. I think guys are hurt more than they ever been. And it's almost they like it, and, uh, it's part of it, it's a mindset. You know, we, we let these, some of these guys, well, if, Oh, if you banged up, you need, you know, take a few days, blah, 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 where it used to be, Get out there and play because somebody's going to take your job if you don't, right? And, uh, but he, he's, he's a key guy. You know, not only, not only is he very productive, you know, he's, he's kind of, he's an enthusiastic guy and he, and he kind of generates that out of a team, you know. Uh, but, but they need him, you know, but he's been, uh, but he has been snake bit with, with a lot of injuries and, you know, that concussion thing. Yeah. Those are, yeah. That's the, uh, you know, it's funny, I, you know, I had like three or four concussions growing up and you didn't think anything of it from playing football and even in baseball. But I can remember one year when uh, Aaron Hill was with us and it was it, was, it would have been 0- 08, I think, I guess, because uh, David Eckstein was the uh, or no, was it John McDonald? It was one of one of our smaller shortstops. Right. We we're playing a game. I think it was out in Oakland and they collided and Aaron Hill went down. And this was like it might have been in June or something. He missed the rest of the season with with, uh, but I, but when you when you said uh, you know Springer had to stay in Toronto because he couldn't travel or whatever, I can remember he'll getting on the plane right after you know after that game we were flying somewhere else and uh, you know so who knows so I guess my point is things have changed so much and I you know what I gotta I I gotta argue I don't think necessarily for the better if you want to know the truth so anyway
1: yeah I mean uh, it certainly is a, a, there's a lot of that. Uh, in the game today i mean just the over caring of players obviously in the old days you'd get back out on the field and you'd do it but everyone has protocols today but they need springer back he is a bona fide superstar They invested a ton of money in him and everybody wants to see him come back and have a have the best 2023 he's ever had so we wish him well
0: yeah, but I mean, you gotta you gotta watch out for the concussions. You know, that's you really yeah. gotta pay attention to that
1: stuff. Oh, you know? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Look what's happening in football right now, and uh, the new protocols that they have there for uh, you know guys getting hit in the head, and uh, you, you have right. to you have to you have to err on the on the side of safety for these uh, for these athletes for sure. Uh, you know, going uh, another uh, another topic that's been circulating this week is um, uh, the rotation for the Jays next year. Uh, There's three spots that are locked in, you know, obviously with uh, Alec uh, Manoa, uh, Kevin uh, Garsman, Jose Barrios, they're pretty much locked in. Uh, uh, Ross Stripling is a free agent. Uh, And then you have Jose uh, Jose Kikuchi competing for a spot. So there's a lot of question marks in regard to the Jays and one, one report I heard this week was that because of the uh, the major injury uh, with Ryu, uh, that the team fully insured his contract, and so the twenty million that they were going to be paying him uh, could go back into payroll next year. So there could be some flexibility money wise. But where do you think the Jays go here? Because obviously there's there's questions that need to be answered on the pitching side. Um, What's your viewpoints on what's going on with the rotation this year, leading into 2023, and what moves need to be made? Well,
0: Johnny, I think uh, you know who's in the best position is Stripley, right? I think they almost have to have to resign him or 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 somebody of his caliber. Uh, and you know, he's coming off such a big year. And he was kind of he was kind of that uh, stabilizer on their team. He
1: was right? a, he was kind of an unsung hero. Yeah,
0: yeah, he, he was. Yeah, he was that guy. So. But he's in the driver's seat now, and he's – you know, there's a lot of teams that are going to be chasing him. But, you know, the Blue Jays, uh, I can remember when I was there, you know, when you get to a certain level, right, you know, you, now you're now you're expected to go that extra mile, whether it's shelling out money to bring in the better players because you don't want to lose that momentum. And there's money to be had. There's money, You know, you don't buy that argument. There's no money, right? Um, but there is limitations. Let's, you know, I don't want to get carried away there. But so if you're going to win – You got to have the pitching. Look at look at the teams that that are are in it at the end. And and Toronto was one of them, right? They got some really good starting pitching, but you always got to try to improve on that. And uh, you know Barrios, you know I know they're hoping has a bounce back year as he should. You know he's been pretty good in the big leagues. Uh, You know Rue's but out is going to be out. You know until he comes back from that surgery, so you really can't count on him. So, but it's 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 a must. And then also teams you got to you got to tweak your bullpen a little bit. to keep that strong, especially the way the game's played. Now, if you neglect that, forget it, you know, because yep. nobody relies on their starters anymore. So you better have that bullpen too. So, yeah, but there's, there's no doubt you've got no chance of winning. If your pitching staff isn't strong,
1: we have a world series going on, John. And we, and we kind of predicted uh, last week uh, you were going for the Astros and I was uh, going against the grain and saying the Philadelphia Phillies. And right now, um, it's tied one to one. We've had an interesting World Series so far. A lot of offense, and the star pitchers have not really come through. Uh, Verlander got uh, got hit hard, and a lot of people are saying in that game one he should have been lifted earlier. What's your viewpoint on that?
0: Well, yeah, I can I can see that all the way, but I also understand where Dusty's coming from. You know, here this is his guy. Yeah, you know what? And you know, yeah, they they back, but yet he got the big out, and got him. Got him tied through five, right? Whatever it was, and and uh, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I love starters. Starters usually, you know, your top dogs, especially those aces. But the postseason is totally different. You know, you you you, you treat that, you know, a tough outing or a guy. Him you know, he got off to a great start. He was rolling, but then it could be innings catch up with him too. You know, he's like we said earlier, he's not a, not a young guy anymore. No. And so you got to handle that always differently, and you know Dusty's always been one of those guys. He loves his starters too, and he you know always had the reputation that you know he's gonna he's gonna live and die with those guys because that's the generation he played in, right? He when he was you know in the, the time with the Dodgers and all the, all those great teams and the teams he faced with the Braves, and that's what they did. The starters went out there and they they go seven eight innings, you know, and, and it, you know and they didn't get blown out like some guys do nowadays. So you know you're also a product of you know, the, the type of baseball you're used to, you know, and um, so. And, and everything's
1: but, ramped up in the postseason anyway. I mean, look at the emotions and look at the energy and everyone is playing, uh, you know, in, in some ways extraordinary. Look at Kyle Tucker and what he did uh, for for the Strohs. And uh, and then, the, you know, the Phillies bounced back game one. Uh, they got spanked kind of in game two. Uh, Wheeler didn't, um, uh, you know, Wheeler uh, kind of underperformed, but it's the pressure of the world series right now. We're tied one and two and we're one and one and we're going to Philadelphia where it should be a crazy next three days in the city of brotherly love.
0: Oh yeah. And there'll be some fighting going on there. Yeah.
1: You know what? It, it,
0: there's no guarantees. I don't care how good you are. You know, they ambushed and you know, they came right out, you know, uh, Wheeler, you know, they came. He's going to throw it over. They're probably trying to get ahead, even with different pitches, and they got they got after him, you know. And uh, but back to really the, the pitching, real quick. Thompson managed the game that first game, like you'd see mo- most guys in, in my my era, right? He, he you know he, he milked that guy at the start as long as he could, and even you remember even even sent Nola out there for one hitter before the lefties came up, before he brought in his, his uh, left hander. You know that's kind of the way the game used to be, or the game I know. You get as much as you can out of this guy. You play that matchup. Now you got the lefty coming in against their big Alvarez and, and uh, uh their big guys. And uh, and so I, I I love that. But yeah, the, the game the game's different. You know, there's there's no guarantees. There's no uh uh I guess you know I guess that's why there's not very many Bob Gibson's and Tom Seavers, You know, or Bartolo 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 might have thrown eight. You know, you never he might have hit a home run. Well, no, they don't. They DH now. So.
1: Well, it's going to be an exciting rest of the World Series. We look forward to covering it next week on the episode here. But right now, John, we're going to get to that uh, part two of that interview with the former general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, the president of baseball operations for the 2021 World Champions, the Atlanta Braves, who gave us a lot of time last week. It was a great conversation. So here is now part two of the interview with Alex Anthopoulos.
0: It is paramount in my opinion that the whoever's run the team have their own people in place right I, I think that's too I think it's too important if you if you have to inherit somebody sometimes it's not always the easiest thing in the, in the world because you know there's they, so I, I think everybody deserves to have the right guy and I know when you when you left you know we brought you know when, when Beaston left you know Mark Piro came in. You know, he didn't hire you to begin with. That's part of the game, you know, but I know it wasn't, I guess my point what I'm trying to say, it wasn't easy when you left. And, and a lot of fans up there still say, where is he? Where is he? You know,
2: now, look, I remember it. Well, like I remember even, <clears throat> you know, I, i had been offered a contract during the summer and, you know, I, at the time I was going to sign it. And then I just was like, was told, you know, you still have to, you don't know, know what, what's going to happen down the road and maybe you shouldn't rush and so on. And, um, but I remember um, I remember you asking me at times in August or September, things were rolling. You're like, hey, what's going on with your contract? What's going on? I'm like, and I, like, I was staying. I was going to be there. I was excited about where we were headed going forward. You know, We knew we had Vladdy and we had these other young guys, and we still had guys we liked the team and so on. And it was really the um, decision was made. I remember it was the day my, my daughter, was Dave, so September 24th, I remember it was the day I decided I'm not going to come back. Um, but you know, prior to September, I I was back. I was back, I was 100% back. There was no doubt. Um, I had had a contract offer, and you know, I was gonna get it done. And uh, obviously, things changed for me, right? So, um, but and even towards the end, I almost came back too. I mean, I had a amazing meeting with Edward Rogers, um, up at the Rogers offices, and I felt great coming out of that meeting. And I remember. I remember crossing the street floor and getting into my car and going home. And it's kind of excited. And then when I woke up the next morning, the same feeling, I'm like, ah, this just doesn't feel right for me. But, um, I didn't, you know, I kept it very quiet just to myself and my wife and I didn't want to rob anybody of what we were going on. Right. If I had told you about it, I remember the minute we lost in Kansas city. the minute I told you in your office. Cause I'm like, everyone was loving every minute of, and I was trying to soak it in too at the same time. But I just didn't think it was fair for my issues. One, I didn't want it getting out in the media and being a distraction of the club, 100% on that. And two, it wasn't fair to, you know, to rob, you know, that moment from the coaches and everybody else in front office, uncertainty and all that. It was just no need for that. So I kept it quiet. Yeah, look, tough call. But I was 38 at the time. And I remember even saying it like, look, I may regret this, but it's just a feeling, you know. And right. I always felt like I'd never made a decision in my life because of money. And obviously I offered five years and really good money and everything else. And it was great. And it was home and my wife's family was there and kids are in school and the team was good. And it was no reason to not be there, but I would have been doing it for the wrong reasons. And, you know, if that was the case, I would have worked at my dad's place. I would have not left. I took a pay cut to go from the Montreal Expos to the the Blue Jays at, at the time. And I had never made decisions at that point in my life based on money or security. I'd always done it based on it where I felt would give me the greatest joy, happiness, set you know all those those kind of things. And I just had a strong feeling this is just not the right spot for me, you know. And there wasn't anything wrong with that. Like you said, like I came to Atlanta and I had individuals that you know I wanted to bring in. I had because I could hit the ground running. Right, there was a lot of work to do and. Um, there's people obviously that, I, that were here that I developed great relationships with that were fantastic. But again, this was my choice, you know, and I easily could have stayed and I appreciated the fact that I had a chance to stay, but, um, I got to tell you, it was a relief, you know, and it, instead of like, there was never a, like the next day, like, oh my God, what did I do? You know, not at all. It was like, I felt even better about the decision. I just knew it was the right call. I had no idea where it was going to go. And I remember having a conversation saying, you know, 10 years from now, I may look back when I'm 48, I'm 45 now. It's says biggest mistake of my life. But I kept it pretty simple with my decision making when it came to career choices. And same way that, you know, I remember when I started working in baseball, I got a job offer at Fidelity, the big, you know, financial corporation. And I was living with my aunt at the time. And she thought it was crazy to go take an unpaid internship with the Expos. I was 23 because it was a good paying job, a lot of upside. But again, I made a decision that I felt would be best for me. And, um, you know, it's a really simple outlook, but I think at the end, I didn't have to be a GM again. I just wanted to be happy where I was, who I worked with, who I worked for. And, uh, you know, going to LA was awesome. And then who knew, like, if that doesn't happen, I don't end up in Atlanta. We don't win a world series, all those things. Like who knows what would have happened, but I think it was the best for all, all sides. I think Toronto is in unbelievable shape, playoff team, exciting team. Um, you know, I think it worked out for all sides and, it was a decision I had to make as hard as yeah. it was. The hardest part was to leave all the staff, right, and the people and so on. But I just felt like it was bound to happen one way or the other. So it was the right time to do it.
0: Oh, yeah. When you were good to them, man, they all appreciated it. I just think you wanted to become a U.S. citizen or something. Or, or, or.
2: <laughs> I will say this. You know what? I mean, obviously, I'm a very proud Canadian, as you well know. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the longer I've been here, I've really enjoyed it. I got to tell you. Um Especially, look, I ever think I'd end up in California in the South? My wife's born in Portugal, moved to Toronto when she was nine. And who knew when she got married she'd live in California for two years. She's saying, y'all now living in Atlanta. I can't <laughs> believe that. My kids don't. Um, but uh, she'll just oh, like slide uh, it in there, you know? That's beautiful. Um, that's beautiful. We, it's great, though. It's This place is a great place to live. Schools are oh. great. The people are great. And, look, we still uh, we still go back to Canada in the summers. My in-laws are there. A lot of families there. So they get the best of both worlds. But um, it's been great. And I, I wouldn't have known that seven seven years ago, eight years ago when, when I left. But it's been a great development. You never know where life's going to lead you. Um, but it definitely has worked out across the board.
0: Right. Do you get your ring on? Do you by chance you get your Nah, ring on?
2: I'm not doing that. I don't, I don't either. Know. We, we you know what? We went if, to the… Uh, really, huh? If, yeah, if yeah, we watched shoulder wearing that thing we went to the white house and I didn't even think to bring it, that would have been the time to bring it. And, uh, you know, I don't want to be that guy, you know, wearing the ring. but I do, I do at some point want to wear it somewhere. Um, but you know, I, I have it at home and, and, uh, oh, you know, bet. to me, all that get kind of stuff was get another one. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what you did with yours probably sitting somewhere in between the pillows of your couch. Well, you know, I got so many of them, you know, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so no but it's cool i mean getting a ring was awesome and oh, you know yeah. well, being you able to good. you know you know i never felt like oh my career i this is a it has to happen because i know how hard it is but you know when it does happen then you really you're really grateful um that it does you know and it's you feel like you've got something that you've got an attachment now to the city forever right, right. no matter what look hopefully we're here for 20 years but you know, you know that you did something good for the city you know one way or the other what you did,
0: though you know what you did what? you know you know what you did like in, in 2015 right the team was kind of special you made some key deals right things that were hard to do I set the team on fire you know when you won the World Series a couple years ago you know you guys you guys were just it, it, it was very similar you made some of the best deals that you can make in baseball and, and people and this, even some deals that people kind of look might not look at well these aren't like there was no yeah, look, you need a little bit of luck. It came For together, sure. so that comes back to your, your instincts. You got to feel what what makes a team win. It's not always necessarily the most talent. Yeah, you got to have talent. You ain't winning without talent. But there's got there's something's got to mix. And I and I look at your team, right? And even back then, when I was – there was a bunch of hard nosed guys that played the game the right way and got after it, and then you combine them with a great. Uh, Great coaches, staff, and a great front office. That's
2: how you win. There's no, it's no, and there's no secret. It's not easy. That's how you win. Yeah, no, and I'll say this. I think certain things I've learned and appreciate, like the games played column. You know, I remember when we made the Donaldson trade, and Brett Laurie was super talented. We had him together, but just you know, he was just bad luck. He'd get hurt, and you know when, or even some of the guys we had on the roster, just a lot of guys would get hurt, right? And they're talented, and they would just you'd have to replace your next line of defense, or your next group of players weren't as good. And I, I really started to appreciate the games played column and Donaldson was an example of that and you look at what we have here now even when I got here Nick marcake is Freddie Freeman Kurt Suzuki those guys played every day and I know we got to give guys you know load management like they use in the NBA. oh I like, no I know, oh. hold on a second but I think it's a mentality and we had both had Mark Burley together Mark Burley taught me a lot because that guy could have gone on the IL a million times Right. And there's a there's a mentality to it. Yeah. And I, do, I look at the games played column, and it's a simple thing to look at. but It's a big deal. Right. And look, we live through it. All of a sudden, someone's on the mound. Someone's got a hamstring or a quad or fantasy football starting. And this guy's, you know, don't want to play or the team's out of it. And those guys that post day in and day out, there's a mentality that comes with it because they easily could go on the I.L., and I think it rubs off on the rest of the team. Yeah, it is a bad of honor, Being around guys like Burley and some of these other guys that, that did it, and we have that here. You know, Olsen plays every day. Dansby Swanson, Riley Harris played every single inning. Travis Darnot cut every inning of the postseason for us. Um, so they set a tone. They set an, an expectation, and um, I think it's part of it. And I think, like, you know, you look at 2021 trade deadline for us. Our clubhouse was a little flat. Uh, we had talent, but we were down, right? We had a lot of – we got punched in the stomach a bunch, and I felt like we needed to get some life and some energy. And I had Jock Peterson in L.A. He's a fun-loving guy. He walks into that clubhouse. You can't help it, but smile. There He's got go. a swagger, a charisma. You know, He was the type of guy that we bring him in. I didn't know what he was going to do performance-wise, but I know we needed him. Followed it up the next day with a guy like Vote. Same thing. High character, yeah. funny, charismatic. Just people gravitate to them. Our guys were down in the dumps, and rightfully so. Acuna got hurt. Anderson got hurt. Um, Just We weren't playing well. We had so many guys that were out, and those guys were going to come in. I remember talking to both of them, saying, hey, I need you guys to be you and like to pick this group up because the talent's there. And then, look, obviously guys started playing better and so on. But that clubhouse piece is huge, and we saw it in Toronto. We got LaTroy Hawkins. I remember him taking all the relievers out to dinner one, one night, what Price did. He bought everybody the robes and brought everybody together. The energy was awesome. And the group we had was awesome. You know, the, the people we had were awesome. And it was exciting to walk into that clubhouse. And, you know, there was past years where I wasn't excited, you know, with the group or this or that. And um, to this day, I want a group that I feel comfortable when I go down there. I'm excited about the guys. Yeah, you yeah. want to win. I don't want to walk in and you know one guy's coming down the hall. I'm looking to go right or left because I don't want to have to yeah, have a conversation. No,
0: there's see, there's more, but you got to see, but you got quality of life, quality of life. Yeah, you know I mean, but sometimes it takes more than having the best player, right? You got you get, there's sure. somebody that energizes the team because it's an emotional game, you know. But everybody doesn't recognize that, or they, or they
2: refuse to. I, do I think that. it took us having to lose a bunch with talented group and saying, "What's why aren't we getting over the hump?" You know, oh, I you. oh yeah. And if we don't, you know, again, like it was awful to go through those seasons. But I think I even said this, uh, my last press conference with the Blue Jays, my end of season wrap up in 2015, I think I even said, like, I felt like just like a player, you know, maybe you find your swing or your your pitcher and you'd have been walking guys and you find your delivery and you're starting to repeat your mechanics. I think I said at the time, I'm like, I think I'm starting to to put it all together as a GM, starting to understand it. And it was a, just a sense of I'm not just going to chase talent. Yes, you need talent to win, like we talked about, but I'm really going to start weighing the other things. And I didn't before. I mean, you know, the way I weighed clubhouse makeup was, oh, I'll get one Mark Rosa one Henry Blanco, two of 25, and the rest is fine. Like, it just doesn't work that way, right? And uh, But that's how I viewed makeup and character. I'll just get a guy or two, and I check the box, and it just doesn't work. So um, I definitely went into 2014 offseason with a – a real mindset. I remember we went out to the Arizona Fall League. We had some meetings. We brought you out as well. Um, and I also thought, you know, what I learned too was, I remember bringing you out to the Fall League that offseason. I, you know, what I learned from it was getting the manager involved. I think is important because, you know, I saw it. I don't want to name names, but you know, there's players that you didn't want that we, as a front office, not not me, <laughs> but <laughs> that we may have signed. And uh, you just weren't on board to begin with. And again, you were going to do what you could. You do your best. But like your instincts were right about, hey, this isn't the right guy. This isn't the right fit. And you ended up being right. And I just felt like if we were going to go down the path and sign someone or trade for someone, if you were uncomfortable uneasy because you had a feel for the room and a pulse, um, I wasn't going to do it because ultimately the minute it was going to go south, you'd use the line, you signed him. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, you signed the guy. favorite line. I didn't (laughs) sign him. You know, it's funny, no. JP one time called me, we
0: were in Texas, this was the, when he was a GM, and he was, he was, we had had a makeup game, Halliday pitched, and then we were in Detroit, and they came back, and I didn't use this left-hander, I think it was Cecil even back that time, because he was banged up or something, he called me, I'm from Texas, my family's coming to town, and it was like five in the morning, you know, and he says, uh, how come you didn't do the left and I'm going, what? So we were kind of going back and forth in the in the, finally I said, to him, said if you start signing some better players, this wouldn't even be an issue. <laughs> he, 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 that, that's
2: true. That's the type of thing he would say. No doubt about it.
0: Do it was all a good fun. But the beauty
2: fun. of it to me it was like if I had you involved in the decision making process, ultimately, you know, the money had to work and so on. But yeah, you know, if you were really against assigning, it was it was probably a lot of thought that went into it. You talk to someone or you knew the room or whatever. And it's something that we as a front office needed to hear. And if you were on board with it, we talked through the scenarios, how you're going to use the players. And you know, to this day, we're setting up the postseason roster and so on. I always tell our manager now, like, it's nice, front office might have this opinion, that opinion. Like, you're the one who's gonna make the decision. If you're gonna not gonna use so-and-so, I don't care how much we might think, like, if you're not comfortable, not put them on the roster. There's no there's no no point, right? So I think it's the same way that when you're doing trades. Um, you're making signings and so on. Again, is the manager making the decisions? No, but it's the whole you're buying the groceries and he's got to cook. And you got to work together. You know, you really do. Um, Otherwise, it's a mess. But that's how you hold them accountable. Well, you wanted this. No, absolutely. So wrong with that. Everybody
0: should be accountable for the decisions. Well, we're they all
2: day. pulling the same rope at that point. But also, you also can avoid some things, right? Because right. there's just a perspective that we will not have in the front office that the coaches and the manager will have a different perspective. And that's from not having done the job, not being down there day in and day out. You know, it's one thing. You guys have to live with these players day in and day out. And there's also, I look at it the same way. Like, if I put someone down there that's not the best clubhouse guy, I'm affecting the clubhouse staff, the trainers, strength and conditioning guys, the coaches, the manager, the support staff, the travel guy. And I'm not around. Like, I don't want someone doing that to me. You know, I don't want someone dumping uh, employees on me that. I know we're not good teammates, not good guys. It's just not a good place to work. It's going to affect the mood, affect all of it. So, unless um, he's really really good,
0: but sometimes Yeah,
2: but well, look at that point though, <laughs> you would sign off and say I'm 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 in, you know, and we'll oh, yeah. say hey, I'll, I'll tolerate it, I'll live with it, and we'll go in with our eyes wide open, but I think it's important to we can sit there and break down value and the numbers and everything else in the office, but I do think you have to have everybody on the same page. Now, small signings whatever, but I think it's critically important. Look, that was part of the learning curve for me, right? Just doing that, you know, and bringing you in off me. I remember going out to the fall league and going to games together and then we'd meet as a group and we'd have the free agents and trades and we would talk about it, you know, and you gave really good in- insights. And it was just I a was learning too. I mean, we're all we all didn't have got
0: all the answers. Nobody's
2: got all the answers. Yeah, no. but, but that's how you get better, is,
0: right? The key is you got you got to work together. It doesn't mean you're going to agree. You may have your fights and all that. But if everybody, at least when it's all said and done, you know what, this is what we're going to do it, and everybody's going to support it, that's that's what matters. That's how you become successful. And then, and then there's no room for backbiting or anything like that because, you know what, you had your say or you you, you understand how it works. You signed off on it in the end. Because if you don't sign off on it, then take a hike. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs>
2: I remember calling you about the Tulo deal. And you're like, obviously, you love Tulo as a player. And I was telling yeah, you, hey, you know, it's so many years. You?
0: What? Was that 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning when you called? Yeah, it was
2: early. But I remember you were kind of hemming and hawing back and forth, and you're like, "Uh," And I just kind of dropped it on you. And uh, I don't know, I think like at 2 or 3 in the morning, I called you back and said, I did the deal. And you're like, what? <laughs> and uh, you were just shocked. I hey, said, you know what, to though? come to the stadium. You're in bed. To come. We got to call Reyes. You got to come in here. So we're in your office at 1 or 2 in the morning. We got to get Jose Reyes to show up. And um, it was a weird day, right? The next day, the clubhouse was flat, and um, because Tulo hadn't been there. And then the next day, he showed up. It's a homer off Jerome Williams, and then the team just, you know, exploded. But I remember the day after, the reaction was not great because I guess guys were sad to lose a teammate, but um, I know that was nuts. I remember when you came in, and you were just like, Like I think I talked to you maybe 10 hours earlier, 8 hours earlier, and you're like, yeah, you know, you just kind of weigh it, you're weighing it, and then... I just we had lost Ben Zobrist to the Royals and uh I knew we needed to solve the defense at short because uh, we had Reyes under contract for two more years and I knew like no matter what we had to solve that that was the first thing even if we weren't going to win in 15 we had to I was I was thinking about 16 17 and so on uh, we had to solve it going forward so that's why it was the first move because the defense hey, had to be solved
0: I'm going to tell you I think that was the most impactful move of it all because you remember the balls and I love Reyes. We all love Reyes and all that. But you know, he was getting old. Balls were trickling through that infield that had to be caught at the big league level.
2: Oh and yeah, I was- remember the Royals series before the All Star break. That was a rough series in Kansas City, and yeah, and it was. Uh, yeah, I remember yeah. Tulo led the team in R- RBI in the playoffs for us. He had huge hits. He yeah. was awesome.
0: But I think that was the key. You know, he, you know, Price was great. He was like ninety one, I think, something like that. He he had a huge impact. But the defense, with you got you got Tulo just clean all that up, and then you Ben Revere out in left field, so we were. We weren't running uh, Calabello and Valencia. Out there. <laughs> oh yeah, we were running and Valencia on the corners. It was worse than when stairs. he was out there for 40. The years owner old.
2: Navarro, but I remember Colabello, We called up. You're the one who brought up the idea.
0: He was he was, he hit, was killing he it in the
2: minor leagues. I don't. Know, we needed offense or something. But I remember you saying, "What about calling up Calabello and let's give him a shot?" And uh, you know we didn't. You know I think you know we had we had smoke and Valencia. And but you are the one who brought up Colabello calling him up, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's a good yeah. idea. And you're willing to put him out there in the outfield. And oh, but that's yes. what I mean. Like ideas come from all over the place. But when we got better defensively, Batista went back to right, Revere in left. Yeah. And then we had too low, and then all of a sudden the defense dramatically. Changed. And look, and I'll say this too. That changed things for me too because I, I really started to value defense immensely uh, once we made all those changes. That we because our run differential at the time was great. But we, we lost games, right? They were close games. Yes. When we won, we won ten to two. But then we lost. We'd lose close games because of an error and this and that. And we had a better team than our, you know, the one loss was in the month of July. We knew that. Good guys yeah. having MVP seasons and so on, and tightening up the defense. All of a sudden, the rotation just exploded, and uh, team was really good.
0: Exactly. So,
2: what do you got, Johnny?
1: I'm just fascinated and um, just listening to you two talk to each other, and it's an amazing experience. I mean, how many times does this get uh, to happen uh, where, uh, you know, a a GM, a manager get together, your synergy between each other is incredible. So, uh, you know, I I did have uh, a question for Alex in regard to John, because obviously his talent evaluation skills led you to bring him in as it? as a special assignment scout for the Braves. So tell us what that experience was like, and was John a good scout?
2: Yeah, I mean, even – I think I even told him there was a guy he loved in the draft two years ago that, you know, the industry didn't have high. And one thing I like about Gibby and I appreciate about him is that he doesn't care where you're ranked, what the hype is. He's going to call it like he sees it. And he's seen a lot of good players, bad guys that didn't pan out and so on. And, you know, there's a track record and a trust that I have that, he's not going to get swayed because so-and-so tells him this guy's going in the first round or the third round and so on. And I remember sending him a note when the player was going off. I'm like, I remember you put a six on him. You have a two-to-eight scale from a scouting standpoint. Six is a well-above-average player, an all-star caliber player. Um, but, you know, we sent him out to see guys that we consider in the first round high. And, look, if he was uneasy with a guy and he really didn't want him, I wasn't doing it, you know. And I know, you know, again, and ultimately we would end up getting there as a group regardless, but you know, his, and this isn't because I like him or a friend's like, there was no charity to this stuff ever, right? It's he can help the team win. I mean, friends will get you fired. So yeah, the the friendship piece is nice, but in these positions, you hire people because you think they can help you and they can impact your club. But there's so many times uh, he made me a way better GM being in that chair. Look, obviously he was there to manage and deal with the clubhouse and the players. And, um, There's so many examples of things that I learned along the way. I remember I was on a scouting trip and we decided to send Pilar down. He called me. I wasn't there. But I remember we had an issue with the player years earlier, not with with Gibby, that we didn't send the player down. We should have done it. And when he called me to do it, I'm like, absolutely do it because it was the right thing for the organization. It was the right thing for the player. Pilar will tell you this day, I'm pretty sure, that it was the right thing for him. Um, But I needed to empower him that, that way. But there's just so many examples of, um, that I've used in my experiences with him, whether I was when I was with LA and you know, we were going through some things, I'd use some examples or I, I remember telling, you know, our broadcaster here is Jeff Francoeur, who ended up having some good season. I remember, I remember Gibby at the time I was, you know, it was first year or something. Jeff Francoeur was available as the you know, 25th guy, minor league deal. He knew him, he wanted to sign him. And I was uneasy, the performance, the numbers, this, that, that. And it was dumb. It was the wrong thing. I mean, you know, and that's as a GM, it, you know, Manager wants a 25th guy on the roster. Give him the 25th guy on the roster, you know, but you need to kind of look. And he made me better when that way. And I think that's made me better as a GM, um, whether I'm dealing with with Brian here in Atlanta when I was a special assistant, uh, you know, VP in L.A., we had to make decisions like that. I just think like learning the relationship and the give and take. And there's times where. GM wants to do something the manager's not a fan of or manager wants to do something GM's not a fan of. It's a partnership. It really is. If you don't view it as a partnership, it isn't going to work no matter what. But what I appreciated was I knew the clubhouse was taken care of. It was never going to be drama. There was never going to be issues. He had his finger on the pulse. He had the respect of the players. They weren't going to you know, go afoul of him. And also there's a lot of things that he took care of behind closed doors that the media would never know about right, closed-door meetings, this and that. I never needed to go check and say, oh, did you, did you bring so-and-so in? Did you just talk to this guy? It was already done. He was already 10 steps ahead of it. He knew when to pull guys in. He knew when he had to make, I don't want to say make a scene, but I thought his instincts and his feel were very good that if he had to do something on the bench in front of the cameras because the player put him in that position to do it, he had the instincts to do it. He wasn't afraid to do it. And then he also knew when the time was to do it behind closed doors in the office. And a lot of guys don't have that. You know, they don't have the confidence. They don't, they're not sure. And the players can smell that and see through that in a minute. And look, beyond that, I thought he managed the bullpen really well. Um, and I remember he, anytime if someone wanted to criticize, I'd always tell them, your job is to win the game. You won the game. I don't care about what this guy's opinion is, that guy's opinion, and get the job done. This is a results oriented, you know, I think, I think it's Winston Churchill as the quote um, no matter how beautiful the process, you should consider the, the, the results, you know. And yeah, yeah I'm, I'm into field? everything else that looks great, but <laughs> it's a results oriented business and at the yeah. end of the day, you got to get it done and have the respect of the players. And you know, even when we hired him a second time, and I knew it would be a controversial hire just because you're coming off a bad year and so on. I called some of his former players and poked around on it and um, you know, they all raved about him, all of them. And I did, I didn't just pick a position player, Well, I, I went, all angles, reliever, starter, position player, everybody came back the same way. And look, it's like Gibby said, you know, sometimes you don't have the right roster, this and that, you know, change was made when it was made, but he was always good, you know, and he just didn't have the roster at times or the division was tough, really tough back then. And uh, he just needed another opportunity, but it wasn't because um, it was giving him a chance. It was because he was good, you know, and there's a lot of examples. Joe Torre, Terry Francona, that the first time maybe didn't go as well as they, it needed to go. The next time around, you see what they really could could do. And those guys, you know, some of them, uh, obviously Torre's in all of fame, and you know, I think Terry Francona is going to and and be end up being be there. So, um, are you saying I'm going to I think go there's just so the much hall that hall goes hall. into it. <laughs> yeah, I think you're going to fall a little short. But,
0: <laughs> hey, all right, but okay. one, one last funny story I got, and then we got to let you go, man. I'm sure you got to because yeah. nobody works the phone lines harder than you. But you you're talking a minute ago about, uh, you know, giving, uh, 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 like giving the manager, a say, on a – let's say the 25th guy or letting him handle the, 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 you know, the dirty work or whatever. And it goes back to – I had that incident with Hillenbrand, right? And JP was a GM yeah. at the time. And so, in in you know, I'm all, everything's everything's gone. I haven't talked to Shea, but I got no problems. You know, Shea, I like right. Shea, good. So anyway, in, in that meeting meet in that in that our confrontation meeting with the team, I said something about you know, hey, hey you know what, you want out? He said it's, it's either me or you. You know, the, the, the front office can, you know, if if they choose to keep you, I'm out of here. I got no problem with that or whatever. But it was one of those and that was you know exactly what was said, but something along those lines. So anyway, JP. JP comes
2: in the next day. You know, of course, the next day we end up releasing Hill and Brain, right? He got DFA'd that night, which I, night. I respect JP because, you know, he was a productive player making good money. It he happens it before 30. the game. During the game, he DFA's him, which uh, is okay. he could have said, let, let cooler heads prevail, let's talk about this, yeah. trade value, all this stuff. He could have easily pumped the brakes. Okay. I respect JP that he had the instincts in the field to say, we got to make a move now. He may not have been happy about being put in that position,
0: but, but that's my, my point. He came to me later and said, hey, listen, now, you can't be saying that to everybody because, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of time those players are going to win over you, man. So be careful who that you right. say that too. That's
2: right. That's right. But you know, uh, he knew. He had great look. Uh, GP had great feel, great instincts. Yeah, His end game so stuff was great. Um, and, you know, you learn from everybody you work with, right? You yeah, take something away from everybody. You know, you know and enjoy everything.
0: it. Have fun with it, you know. No doubt. But, hey, listen, man, it's uh, – it's a pleasure to have you on here. We congratulate you. We all know how good you are. It's good to see you, uh, uh, you know, reap the rewards of all the, the hard work and the, the dreams and all that. And I can guarantee all the, the the guys that played for you in Toronto and the guys that are right now in Atlanta respect the heck out of you. Thank you. They they it, it, it's more than just a business relationship, and they appreciate you for who you are and. and uh, a continued success. And hey, you didn't realize that was such a media darling, did you?
2: I know you're very smooth. You're actually more coherent than I expect you to be. Oh, you God. have to like really lean in.
0: Maybe, so, maybe, you're, maybe
2: need, your volume is. I need is the John Gibbons translator. And you know what? What is it? You're sitting appropriately in a chair. You don't put your feet up anymore. Well, what happened to you? You sold out. You know, hey, sold so, out.
0: Hey, when you figure out my, my uh, language here, listen, you'll be able to speak six languages. Watch That's fine. Right. You will have six under your belt.
1: That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks, the, pal. All right, guys. we really glad Alex. to be on. That was a great interview, part two. Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, I really enjoyed out of everything we've done uh, since starting the show, John. I mean, that for me was just an amazing uh, interview. We, and it was just kind of like to get the inside information from a guy who's so many people respect and look what he's done. I mean, congratulations on bringing him on again. No, no,
0: you know what, Johnny, he's one of, Bartolo, he's one of, he's one of the good guys, you know? <laughs> I mean, really, he's a, he's a down, he's, he's, he's a humble guy. He's down to earth. Uh, and I think what fans enjoy is, uh, you know, a lot of times you get, you get the uh, news uh, the clips and, or you get the uh, they just people just scratch the surface because to, I, I told you, Bobby Cox told me one time when you're talking to the media, the first time I met him, because, you know, Toronto's got a big media, right? And He'd been there. and He said, uh, he goes, you know what I try to do? He says, I talk a lot and give them nothing. I said, that's perfect for me. That's all I ever do. So if you think about it, you know, it kind of, you know, some of the things he was talking about, Alex was talking about, it's a little more in depth. And people really like that because they're not aware of a lot of that stuff, you know, it's, and it's genuine, you know. So it's and it's a based bit on the
1: relationship you've had with him over all these years. I mean, there was a comfort level there.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like I said before, you know, we've had our battle. We've had battles and, you know, we had disagreements on things. The healthy stuff, you know, that you're supposed to do in baseball. And then you figure something out and you go with it. And you got to remember, too, he was my boss. Everybody's got a boss. He had a boss, was a beast in the president. The president's got a boss. It's a guy that owns the team. So, you know, things trickle
1: downhill, man. That is quite, quite true. It's going to be time for another Ask Gibby segment. And, of course, each and every week. We do have a, a few questions for uh, John, and this is brought to you by Budweiser. If we do select your question here on the podcast, you will receive a gift package from Budweiser because that's what Buds do. So now it's time to ask Gibby. We have question number one, John, and this comes from the Gmail account. Where do I keep this Halloween-based uh, uh, this week? And this comes from Ryan Matilla. Uh, from the Gmail, ask, a Gibby Show at gmail.com. It says, hi, Gibby. Love the podcast. In a departure from a baseball question and in the spirit of Halloween, what's your favorite scary movie? Cheers and keep up the good work, Ryan.
0: Ooh, ooh gosh. You know, actually, I don't, I don't necessarily like scary movies anymore now that I get older, but i got to go with Halloween. You know, Mike Myers back in the day and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't remember how old when I first saw that when it first came out, but you know, it just, it it was, cause it was, it was, it was real. You know, a lot of these nowadays are, you know, they're, they're, uh, you know, there's no way they could be. Wouldn't
1: that come out in the 70s? Had to have,
0: yeah. Yeah, it had to be the 70s, yeah. So, and and the music in it, you know.
1: Yeah, that was kind of a really scary one. I remember, you know, I remember seeing that one in the movies the first time, but the one that got to me was The Exorcist. Uh, and that was I, I i mean i literally i couldn't sleep for several days because that that was the scariest thing I'd ever seen at that point in my life yeah that yeah that that's
0: you know what it, you know you hear about exorcisms you know i mean they, they actually happen and things like that but that there was something about that movie that yeah you know and i think you know I, I think uh i think a couple shows ago i remember seeing your head spun all the way 360 all the way around and uh,
1: um, yeah, that's when the Mets were eliminated. That's what. That's what. That's the show. That's what. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. It happens every year in October. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> uh,
0: we, got
1: another, we got another question for you. This one comes from the Twitter account at John Gibbons 05 and uh, this one uh, username is Rico and Barry, and his question is. What was the scariest team you've ever seen assembled on the field? You looked at their lineup and said, "Wow, this is a scary lineup."
0: Oh gosh! You know we had, you know what? And we had a couple years where we were really scary. There's no doubt. But but you know, uh, from the other side, I got to go back to the uh, uh, probably the Yankees and the Red Sox when they when they were really the Yankees and the Red Sox when I was a player. You know, I go I can go back as a kid and you look at all those Yankees. Red Sox, same thing. And it's just, yeah. you know, for, you know, for, from the Gene or Bernie Williams, Posada, you know, that group, uh, you know, Clemens, Pettit, you're going, wow. And it doesn't it, – it never ends, right? It's Top to bottom, Cano. Uh, and in the same way with the Red Sox, you know, Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, you know, Trot Nixon, Johnny Damon, Veritek, you know, and then Schilling on the mound and, and then Papelbon. I can't leave out Mariano Rivera from the Yankees. That's kind That's of when – when the Yankees and the Red Sox were really the Yankee and the Red Sox.
1: I mean, those teams were built to win every year. And as a, you know, a manager in the same division, I mean, you'd have to look at them and say, you know, look, look how much money they've spent. Look at the guys they've assembled.
0: Yeah, but it's all about winning. But, you know, the 86 Mets, as as far as a player, that was a scary lineup. I guarantee you facing that team. Because, you know, it wasn't that. I mean, it was tough to get through that lineup anyway. And they had the pitching. They had they had they had everything right, and they would fight you. You know what? You, 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 it's, so there's, you know, they weren't they weren't going to sit there and hug you like you see all the time nowadays because that's you know baseball was different. But yeah, there's there's been a lot of scary ones. I got to I got to put those up there top. You know.
1: Yeah, well, those are certainly uh, scary teams if you're an opposing player or manager, for sure. And as a member of the 86 Mets, you were there right with uh, one of the scariest teams in the history of the game, those 86 Mets, yeah. Yeah. So that's going to wrap up this segment. And, of course, those two questions are going to get these great Budweiser gift packs courtesy of Budweiser. That's what Buds do. If you want your question to be read here to Gibby, all you got to do is send us an email, askgibbyshow at gmail.com. Or use the hashtag AskGibby on the Twitter account. And we will – there's so many that are coming in now. I mean, the, the questions that are pouring in, it's hard to select two. Uh, But, you know, these questions are amazing, John, and we'll have more next week. And finally, uh, kind of in conjunction or a little synergy with Halloween, there was a a scary moment that might have taken place uh, in a uh, Calgary Flames hockey game, a post-game press conference. Daryl Sutter was asked about the disappearance of a player during the game. Let's go to that clip right now, and then we'll get your reaction to it, John.
0: Uh, Uberdale left the bench for a little bit in the first period. Are you able to say what it was?
1: I think he'd go take a shot.
0: You know, I did. I did see that. I, I was laughing. You know, and, and uh, you know, Sutter didn't hide anything. You know, he's he's the old. He's one of the old throwbacks, right? And uh, uh, and I was thinking, guys, I don't know if that ever happened to, when I was around. Maybe it happened to me, but I don't mm-hmm. know about any of my friends. Happened is- to you? <laughs> no, not that. But you know what? Uh, <laughs> I can – it's it's funny uh, – I guess it's funny. Uh, it's funny to some, maybe not everybody, but I used to drink a lot of diet sodas and water, right? Or, yeah. you know, some kind of caffeine. So I, I used to have to go to the bathroom a lot in between innings. And so, you know, so there's a hallway to lead up the clubhouse. So I was up there almost every half inning. So nine-inning game, you know, whatever. You do the math, but – it's so funny. Uh, Greg Zahn uh, gave me a nickname. It was called Flomax, right? You <laughs> know, uh, you know to help, help you control those things. And it, so, part of it was nervous energy, part of it was the caffeine and all the liquids in my body. But uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of was kind of Zonny and I, my my joke. And uh, you know, later in my life, I you know I even took some of that at one time. So little did I know back then. I didn't think he was very smart, but Zani should have been
1: a doctor. So there yeah. yeah, you go, Zani the doctor. <laughs> maybe,
0: maybe that's who we need sponsoring the show, Flomax.
1: Let's go after (laughs) him. You know, because if we do, it'll
0: flow really smoothly.
1: It will be a nice flow won't it? Well, uh, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Gibby Show. Once again, a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, If you want to reach out to John, I mean, he's all over social media. Just look for John Gibbons, 05, wherever you go, he's there. Uh, My handle is at John Arezzi. Uh, Until next week when we talk more baseball with you, this is John for John. Happy Halloween, everybody, and have a great week.
0: Bartolo, vámonos.